Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. This is the third episode of my new series, Power to Change, or P2C. I'm about proclaiming God's love for the unlovable, the unloved, and unlovely. And, and you know, you may not think that's you, but it's a scale zero to ten this side of heaven. You may be a two today, but you're going to be a six or a seven sometime. And we're all on that scale this side of heaven. So you want more. So welcome to Gospel Rant. This show, this series should make a difference. Is it helpful to be reminded that you're fighting a war against yourself? I mean, the world and Satan too, but the flesh, I think that's maybe the most consequential war that we have going on and probably the most denied. Uh, see, that self, that flesh has, has a lot of the, the very powerful brain chemicals. It's far more powerful than your prefrontal cortex. If you've been shamed that your situation is what it is, because you don't have the right stuff, you don't have faith or righteousness or the will or whatever it might be, you're the problem, then this is going to be, this series is going to be really good news for you. Because that's only partly true. <laughs> Trying harder, listen, will fail. I promise you. And there's a better way. Nothing magical or tricky. It's just the basic old-fashioned gospel. In fact, in this show, we're going to explode the largely false notion we moderns have about free will. Uh, and boy, I know that's going to get me some emails and some trolling. That's right. Bring it on. Let me know what you think about that. Uh, it's probably not what you've been told. Bill at gospel-app.com. And listen, if you find this beneficial, please help us get the word out. First of all, follow the podcast, but then blast it to people and friends and church members that you think could benefit from this. Let's start to change the world. Well, we'll get started after a word from our sponsors. See you in a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. We put a great deal of stock in free will. But now, I hope we're beginning to see that we do not technically, in one really important sense, have free will. I mean, it's true that we're free to choose and are morally and legally accountable for our choices, but that's kind of different than our modern understanding of free will, what it's become. That's more of being a free agent. We are free agents. Let me try to explain. As moral free agents, we make choices every day, all day long. All our choices that we are free to make are going to be judged by the perfectly objective judge of the celestials, God. If they were perfectly good, sacrificial, God-honoring, 
choices, then you will be patted on the back and told, good for you. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. But if you chose anything that was selfish, destructive, God-dishonoring, then the judge, of course, will clearly see the evidence and you will be subjected to the full weight of the law, i.e. death, or somebody will take the death for you, Jesus. And by the way, this is true also for choices driven by that insane self-focused powers within you, those dysfunctions that deceive your will and control you, and your vast blind spots, the dysregulation, the PTSD, the, right, the, the, the trauma. You could argue that it was not all your fault, but you're a free agent. You can't have it both ways. It is your fault. In, in a global sense, it is, because you're the agent. Just saying. Does that make sense? So, Christian, clearly Jesus died for all of your bad choices and sins, those you did intentionally and those you did unintentionally, right? Driven by your, your inner working models. He had to because God's courtroom does see you as a free agent. But God's courtroom doesn't see that you actually have a free, unaffected, neutral, objective, non-subjective will. Your will is affected by thousands of deeply entrenched habits and inner working models, many formed when you were an infant. It's, it's subconscious, right? They're powerful. They drive harmful things like your addictions. An addict cannot merely will to stop. A depressed person cannot merely will to be happy. A schizophrenic cannot merely will healing. Anxious parents cannot merely will peace. Paul said it all so well. Those things I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, I keep doing. So try to forget the wounds of the past. Try to forget the scars, the emotional and physical abuses. Your will is very limited, really, in its capabilities and its scope and freedom. It lacks objectivity. Just try willing not to be angry. Way, way down deep. We know this is true, but we cling to this romanticized notion of our wills because the natural alternative is too painful. I never want to admit helplessness. I never want to admit that I'm under control of something I can't change. I do not want to admit that there are forces, enemies, inside my brain that I cannot cope with. I can't even see them most of the time. But here's the good news. Let's assume that there is indeed a creator God who is personal, objective, powerful, and is by nature a saving, rescuing God. He would somehow get the word to us. He would somehow, Revelation, let us know who the real enemies are and where they are. He would somehow point out to us the path of escape, of resistance, of freedom. He loves us that much. He would give us access to power to be victorious. He would make sure somehow that we would eventually know freedom in heaven perfectly, but even now begin to experience it more and more, little by little. This is exactly the point of the Bible, Revelation. This is the encapsulation of Jesus and his work for us, for you and me. He died so that our warped decision complex can eventually be set free from the non-free craziness. Jesus died to pay for all of the outrageous, destructive choices of our wills. I would argue that our will is what it is, a yes-no device. But the point is that our whole decision complex is dysfunctional, it's self-centered, it's riddled with huge blind spots and foolishness. I mean, come on, look at human history. Look at last week. Look at your last week or even yesterday. 
The tragedy is that we are in denial. If we blindly and ignorantly cling to our supposed free will, such a strategy is just going to undermine hope for change. We won't need P2C. But God has proclaimed that our real enemies are three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. In this section of Galatians, we're primarily dealing with the middle enemy, perhaps the most invasive and deadly and subtle of the three. It's our flesh. All right, so what makes the flesh so dangerous? Because it's us. It's you. The great philosopher Pogo said it all. Gentlemen, we've met the enemy and they are us. Let me tell you about Brian. He was raised in a Christian family, went to a Christian school, didn't do well in school. He was tall and lanky and clumsy, never could identify with the other Christian children, and ended being the butt of jokes, bullied. He was introduced pornography and other sexual deviances by a sexually dysfunctional grandfather at a young age. He was sexually molested by two friends as an adolescent. His father was not a strong role model almost never home, and when he was, he ended up just scaring young Brian. Uh, Brian recalls his father threatening him with hell. His memories of his dad are just endless criticisms and emotional abuse. One of the straws that finally broke the camel's back was young Brian being chosen to play Jesus in a school play. Well, cruel children stripped off the loincloth and made Brian run around the stage naked. Well, Brian's now in his 60s. He's been on, had ongoing struggles with alcohol and other things. He's been in and out of relationships. Um, you may know Brian by his stage name, Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson was, during the 90s, the undisputed king of shock rock. Whatever you think of him, his persona and his music resonated with a lot of young, uh, dissatisfied, bullied people. I mean, three of the band's albums have been platinum status. Three more went gold. He is my poster child for what I've been talking about with that decision complex that regularly makes life choices, but is hardly free, right? Makes sense? Can we relate? Who here doesn't feel the scars of past emotional abuses and trauma or worse? Who here hasn't felt the sharp tongue of authority figures gone bad or being bullied? And again, I don't know Brian. So I'm only observing from a distance and what he said and what's been written about him. But my guess is that on this track, he's not going to find the peace and joy and wholeness and intimacy that he's really longing for until or unless there was a heavenly intervention. Like I said, I don't know. He needs, like I do, a greater power that's going to overwhelm his flesh, Paul calls it. And that can happen. That's what God does. I need the same rescuing spirit power every day. You do too. So from last week, we looked at four powers common to fallen humanity, including saved humanity, selfish ambition, anger, hatred, envy, and jealousy. They're generic powers. They're looking for an object, just waiting for a trigger, and then boom. In this show, we're going to look at four other destructive powers that subconsciously wait inside of our flesh to erupt. The first one, impurity. That's on the NIV list number two, akatharsia. It's a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage 
says Peterson. It literally uncleanness, likely here meaning moral impurity, the, or, or someone said the content of graves. Peterson says it divides the immediacy of the common from the holy and profanes it. So there's something twisted in the heart that wallows in the mud of this world, that internally hoards garbage and images and takes the time to to dwell on it, holds it up, devours it over and over. There's there's an aspect of self-loathing and self-destruction. A person who loads up their minds with pornography, for instance, or trite love novels, soap operas, music, that is horrific in its images and messages, some movies or TV programs, video games. Often art is a bellwether of the state of society and acatharsia. Music is telling. And don't miss this. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying I'm, I'm observing. I mean, me too. The reason that it is so is that is, there is really an appealing draw to the power in these things. It's a magnetism. It's very, very real. But none of this impurity can actually set the soul free or lift the abused out of their darkness, or lift the society out of bigotry, or reconcile the irreconcilable. None of this builds community. None of this loves. Little of this proclaims value to to life, to the person. In fact, it just vomits up the worst in my sinful nature and just leaves it there. It offers no cure. We know that, right? Again, no judgment, no shaming. Just saying. Now, Having said all of that, the danger is that we forget that the very motivation behind acatharsia is good. There is emptiness we're trying to deal with. There's a need to be filled, right? We're just filling that emptiness, that that cracked cup with uh, garbage versus, and there's an option. We'll talk about that. So we must never invalidate that we're hungry that you're hungry, that we have that need. It's very real. The power of acatharsia is that it, it doesn't really work. Well, this is probably a good place to uh, take a break to hear from sponsors. We'll be right back and look at pornea. The next power within our flesh is sexual immorality, pornea. This is the number one on, on Paul's list in the Greek. It's repetitive and loveless sex says Peterson. We modern Christians get our shorts all up in a bunch when we talk about pornea. It's kind of like this is the worst and we throw everything into this, in this bucket. And, you know, it's, it's a very broad term and it seems to have evolved historically. I'm going to try to pin it down into a smaller umbrella. I think I'll be fair. Historically, it's referred to prostitution, male and female, ritual pagan prostitution and temples, the Greek and Roman practice of pedestry, where wealthy man would, would uh, invite, accept an intern or protege, a young early adolescent boy who would, who would be trained by the man and would also satisfy his non-marital sexual urges that the Romans so feared would undermine the institution of marriage. Apparently a very common, common practice. It's mentioned uh, pornea over two dozen times in the New Testament and never given a clear definition. So it would include, we think, porn, pornography, no doubt. Most would include uh, homosexual, queer relationships under the pornea umbrella. Most definitions suggest that it's those actions and thoughts that focus sexual energy and desire on someone or something other than one's spouse. 
right? And, and so I think that, but I think that misses pornea in marriage as well. I think uh, spouses can be participating in pornea in within marriage as well. I'll, I'll try to explain that. So fornication, pornea, detaches the freedom, this is Peterson, the freedom of the sexual from the reality of intimacy and destroys it. And I think he's onto something, linking pornea with intimacy or, or against intimacy, right? So pornea is just really one step beyond akatharsia, the, the last one we looked at. And here's what I think. Pornea is a terrible and awful parody of God's created desire within our hearts. We're made to be in life-giving, empowering, trusting, safe intimacy with others, beginning with God. It's to be marked with vulnerability, desire for the growth of the other. And by the way, the opposite of porneia then would be the dynamic and very powerful, very intimate relationship that each of us, we Christians, have with God, what we'll experience in heaven. Uh, Porneia is the opposite of that. Singles can fully access this now, right? The real deal, real opposite of pornea by faith. It's the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ that I'm experiencing. It's so much better than pornea, but pornea is a substitute and is actually a destructive one. The highest human-to-human model of this designed by God is other-directed sex between a man and a woman in a committed context of marriage who are both trusting God to fill them and uh, not trusting their spouses to fill them, meaning in this particular moment, they're not using their spouses as counterfeits to God's love. They're, uh, they're, they're bubbling over with God's love for their spouses, and it erupts in intimacy, right? That's the opposite of porneia. Anything shy of God's perfect design, not only sad, it's abusive, it's porneia. So every time one enters into a sex act, Empty, demanding to be satisfied, uh, be filled by the other without commitment, love, desire for the other's pleasure, enjoyment, and growth. We abuse the other person. We abuse the soul of the other person. We devour them. We use them. Right? There is no such thing as casual sex. Biblically, pornea. We all do it every day. I mean, we're all, again, it's part of the works of the flesh. It's not like, well, I don't choose to do it. In a sense... We do it all the time. Well, the long-term result is a degradation of desire for intimacy with anyone. It's a PTSD, a trauma. So we come to relationships skeptical with a hardness, with uh, boundaries. And intimacy, it becomes something dead, a duty, a tool, no longer useful as a living gospel of oneness. It doesn't reflect the Trinity anymore. It doesn't reflect God's perfect plan for me. And it feels that way. It feels like I'm being sucked dry. It becomes hard. Look, it's hard to speak today of intimacy with God as good news because intimacy today in the world, what we are experiencing is cheap and fragile and linked with abuse and free sex and adultery, temporary relationship that feed on others, porneia. So how can we use intimacy with God? Because it's become so yuck. That's a technical term. The gospel says that God's desire for you and me as his children, is that he wants to love us with this lavishing, empowering, constant love that's honoring. Pornea is a parody of that, okay? 
Um, not a, just a substitute, it's a destructive parody of that. God loves us not on the basis of what we have to give to him. He loves us on the basis of what his son has already given to us. Our eyes are so scarred by bad relationships and tainted self-centered sex and abusive intimacy and, and pornography that we struggle to imagine this love, to accept it, to believe it, to, uh, to buy into it, to enter into it, to trust it. We can't be vulnerable anymore. We need a power, porneia in us has stripped us of our joys for heaven. So we need a power to change all of that. I mean, this is so, so, so important. It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, actively wars against my internal porneia and its effects on me and gives me new hope. But I need the Holy Spirit to do that. I can't just choose with my prefrontal cortex to, to trust, to have faith, to enter in, to be intimate. You know, I probably... Needs not to be even pointed out that both akatharsia and porneia are often done in the dark, hidden and surrounded by lies and betrayals and disappointments. This is the opposite of community, which is in the light of vulnerability. So listen, can, can Marilyn Manson ever really know intimacy, real humanness? Can he really become vulnerable after so many heart, uh, hurt and abuse? Yes, not on his own. Neither can I. He'll, he needs the same power from the Holy Spirit that I need. All right, seven and eight. Aselgea, debauchery, frenzy, joyless grabs for happiness, and komoi, orgies. So that's number three on the list and number 15 on the list. These are, per Peterson, ugly parodies of community. Make sense? Here's commentator Fung. It's vice paraded with blatant impudence and insolence without regard for self-respect, for the rights of others, or for public decency. You know, it's the act of character, says Fung, which has lost that which ought to be its greatest offense, its self-respect and its sense of shame. Uh, look, I don't want to uh, poke in somebody's eyes, but it reminds me of some recent gay day parades that I've seen. Not all, but some that I have witnessed in which the participants are so openly vulgar in their nakedness and, and trying to shock uh, the people that are around. In some cases, picking fights. And again, I'm sure that a lot of things are involved, and, and I get it, right? But maybe closer to home, how about boys or girls gone wild at Daytona or Pensacola Beach? See, in these settings, uh, those two works of the flesh have just, they've lost the ability to blush. Again, no judgment. It's in all of us. Twain, Mark Twain said, the human animal is the only creature with the ability to blush. And the need to. <laughs> so Komoi, it was a festival procession in honor of Dionysus, followed by a joyous meal or banquet right, or sex. It's, it's Mardi Gras is, is built after that. And remember, these are very real, very powerful hits, temporary, but still hits. And particularly for empty, broken cups, man, it's like moth to a flame. So there might be an immediate reduction in the ever-present cry of souls, but it's temporary. There's no real change, no real satisfaction, no soothing. It's an unsatisfying counterfeit and yet so tempting. But don't make the mistake. This hit is real. It's very powerful. It's, it's addictive. And to tell my flesh to stop it, <laughs> thinking that it's going to, I'm going to choose, that's foolish. It needs a substitute power that satisfies better. All of these things are grabs at straws that we all do. 
These are folks who at one level are aware that there should be more, that there should be more joy and life and rejoicing and freedom. And, and, uh, but it's the, it's the greatest sin in light of God's wonderful plan is that they settle for garbage, the lie, the substitution, the dumpster. It's a prostitution of what's possible and what is offered to them by God. Once again, the context for most Komoi and Aselgeia is darkness and fear of exposure. All right. We seem to know that, at least initially. All right, what's the real thing? I'm told that banks sometimes, in order to prevent counterfeits, train their staff by using the real stuff, right? And the idea is that, that if people are, were aware of the real stuff, they would never fall for the counterfeit. I, I, I like that. So for Aselgea and Komoi, the real thing is the long-expected celebration of the Lamb. I think we missed this in churches. We've become so staid and so rational and so boring. But we're supposed to have celebration of this something that was lost and now is found. Luke 15, 22 to 24. It's a wedding celebration in Matthew 22. It's a worship ceremony where we see the resurrected Jesus face to face. There was a scene in the movie Patton. George Scott, when the Allies entered Palermo and here was the people set free, they were ecstatic. They had been through hell. They had known uh, pain and death. They lived in fear and now they're set free. And the incarnation of that freedom was George Patton and, and the First Army. But there was a real party. And that's what we should be experiencing every Sunday with Jesus. It's a regathering of all who passed before us in Christ. Look at Revelation 7, 9 to 10. And we can begin to experience this more now. We've got to let our hair down a bit. We should experience this when we gather on Sundays. We should experience this at communion. The Sabbath is not just a day we don't do stuff. It's a day designed to enter into the reality of our salvation to party some. Right? Uh, Fellowship with God today can, by faith, be better than carousing and orgies. God is better than sex. And so you who have tasted the world's carousing, be brutally honest. Have you been satisfied or do you need more, require more? Or are the beer commercials correct where everybody in the bars are happy? Have you become a slave to that cruel monster? And it would be cruel of me to say, just stop it without offering a replacement. So I'm offering you a replacement, the power of the spirit to make you uh, uh, feel joy. Makes sense? The real thing is better than all of the carousings and orgies and porneia and acatharsia that, that you could ever imagine or have experienced. Uh, try it. Come to the Lamb who loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. Well, we're going to talk more about the real thing in the next show. I said that I would put a simple tool in your hand, biblical, relevant, scientifically helpful, and here it is. Say it aloud, word for word twice a day for 45 days. Again, it's free. Just do it, please. I'm begging you. And hopefully you begin to experience what these counterfeits were counterfeiting. Uh, do it t- more than twice a day if you're struggling or, or addict, if you're, if you're worried about relapsing. No shame. I've got your back. I believe in you. Or better, I believe in his spirit in you. So just sit back, listen to this again. Or by the way, just say it aloud with me. Jesus follower addict, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. And this is true whether you shake your addiction or not. 
You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. Stop that. (laughs) How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Party! (laughs) Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. (laughs) And look, as you say this and as you're thinking about saying this every day for 45 days, twice a day, three times a day, write down changes that you've noticed. Could be little ones. Are you feeling a little less stressed, a little less empty, a little more joyful, uh, a little more hopeful? Are you are you seeking to self-medicate a little less often? I had one person come to me after saying this for just 10 days and a porn addict, and, and he was he was really a porn addict. And I said, well, have you noticed any difference? He goes, no. And he starts cursing at me. He goes, well, there was Wednesday. <laughs> Look, it's the gospel is that powerful. And remember, say the simple uncluttered gospel twice a day for 45 days. Let me know what you think, what's happening. Bill at gospel-app.com. You can get them in bookmark form from gospelrant.com or gospel-app.com. Get a bunch, put them all over your home, put them on your 12-step, give them to your 12-step group. They'll thank you. I'm writing a book on the overlooked and underappreciated women in the Old Testament. It's fascinating. It's a must-read, particularly women. Want to know when it's published? Get on the list. Bill at gospel-app.com. Make sure you follow this podcast, please. I'm begging you. It's really important to us. Pass the word along to friends and family. Give them a call. Send them an email. This can make a huge difference. Stay in your 12-step groups. If you're an addict, stay with counseling and keep listening. Take heart, child of God. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.